0: The millennial Way, a podcast made for the on the go millennial, giving you tips and advice on how to up level your career, teaching you the
1: things they don't teach you in school. When they ask why, just tell them it's the Millennial Way. Here's your host, Chase Coleman. y'all welcome back to another episode of the millennial way and man is it a great day so first off i turned 25 on sunday and again like i said i feel like i'm getting old but beyond that i had one great weekend and the reason that it was so great was because i got to spend it with my father so my dad and i went down to san antonio to go watch the spurs play and not only go watch them beat up on the Cavs, but we got to see Manu Ginobili's Jersey retirement and I'm telling you guys if you watched ESPN over the weekend you probably saw some clips from it but actually being there was amazing the fact that they did the Argentinian national anthem they spoke in Spanish they also spoke in English like it was just a massive culture like moment for the Spurs and it was fantastic guys the the production of it I mean every every aspect of it was fantastic and My favorite part had nothing to do with the game itself, but being able to spend great one-on-one time with my dad. My parents live back in Atlanta and I don't necessarily get to see them all the time. So being able to just spend time with my father, pick his brain on different stuff, catch him up on my life, and also just like see him go crazy in the AT&T Center was easily, easily the best thing for me in 2019, the best thing in 2018. I mean like I, I could go on for days about how nostalgic and how amazing this made me feel so it was one hell of a trip I'm actually not even drinking some wine right now because I was just so I'm still so ecstatic I'm on cloud nine from this trip just being able to hang out with my dad and I got a diet coke next to me because I'm trying to watch my figure y'all it's almost summertime the summer bod needs to you know I gotta I gotta keep myself nice and tight for the summertime um and lastly like It's March Madness, baby. I mean, we were having a blast. My dad and I got to watch all the different games going on, and you guys will hear later on in this episode that our guest today is huge into March Madness and college basketball as well, and he actually made some pretty crazy predictions on the Final Four that ended up coming to fruition. But, again, like, March Madness is the shit, y'all. I I mean, I I absolutely love it. And the fact that all this different volatility goes on, Duke, who is the powerhouse, UNC, who is the powerhouse, gone, gone. Barty's in the Final Four. We got Texas Tech in the Final Four. We got the fifth-seeded Auburn in the Final Four. I mean, y'all, like, this is so much fun. This is what March is all about. So I'm just letting you guys know this now. I love March Madness, and I'm actually really not excited for it to end. I want the Final Four to be extended. Let's add 64 more teams. Let's get this thing going again. But in all seriousness, y'all, I have one amazing guest for you guys today, my buddy Jordan Murphy. We worked together, we actually met at work, and I would say that this guy is one of my good friends in Seattle now, because not only have he's at, have we helped each other, but he's helped me tremendously when it comes to figuring out my finances, setting my financial priorities, my financial goals, and then attacking them in a strategic and executional way. And I'm not t- only talking about investment within the stock market, which we'll get into in a little bit, but I'm also talking about saving. What do I do when I get my bonus? Where should I put it? What How does this ladder into my goals? Like, Jordan has been so good at helping me with that that I had to bring him on the show to start talking about this because I think it's important for all of us, especially the fact that they don't teach us this in school. I mean, we don't get to learn anything about finances or cost of living or what to do with your money when you first start getting paid or your paycheck. And it's like, damn, y'all, like, you guys want us to be successful, but we're just supposed to go figure this out. And I mean, honestly, like our parents teach us their ways of their financial priorities and how they save and how they go about their investments as well. But if the goal is to have financial wealth, then let's truly build our own wealth and start becoming those productive millennials that we are. So without further ado. And, guys, I have one amazing guest for you today. And, I mean, I know I say this every week because everybody's fantastic. Now, I got my buddy, my man. This dude has helped me in more ways than he can even believe. I mean, when I think about, like, my stock portfolio that started at $0 before I even joined this team and where it's grown to today, I can honestly and truthfully say that 97% of that is because of my man, Jordan. So, guys, Jordan Murphy, one of my colleagues, again, a great friend of mine. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on to today's episode, and uh, we're super excited to have you. How are you doing today, man?
0: Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Of course. Of course. And guys, Jordan is a senior financial analyst here at Nestle. He lives here in Seattle. We got fantastic weather. I mean, shoot, it's like 80 degrees today. I was sweating outside and don't make fun of me. I know I'm from Hotlanta, but whatever. Um, It's hot. So Jordan, I would love to talk a little bit about your journey to Nestle. I mean, obviously we we migrated from Starbucks to Nestle together, but you got your degree in finance from the University of Washington, which actually I saw was ranked one of the top business schools in America by Business Weekly. But with that, that aside, it can is. you kind of, hey, go Foster, go dogs. Can you That's give right. us a little, can you give us a little bit of a recap on your journey to to Starbucks from from college, right? Like what got you interested in finance, and then from there, what really brought you all the way to Starbucks and now this great company of Nestle?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so it was always a dream of mine to go to the UW. I come from a long line of Huskies, uh, go Dogs. And yeah. when I applied, I actually got right into the business school, so what they call freshman acceptance, um, and figured I'd kind of just roll with it. I didn't necessarily have a plan Um, going into it. thought I might do math, something analytical. um, But you know what? I thought, okay, I'll give this business thing a shot. Uh, I had a mentor in high school, a guy who's actually still a very close friend of mine, and he was studying accounting and finance uh, when I was in high school, and he was going to UW. So I thought, you know what? I'll just follow in his footsteps. Seems like a great guy. You know, got his head on straight. And it it went pretty well at first. I'd say what a lot of people... Confuse, um, about finance is that it's the same as accounting and that they're pretty much, there's no difference between them. Um, and I slowly came to find that that was not the case. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I could not do my job without my awesome accounting counterparts, uh, and they know a lot of stuff that I frankly just don't, and it's critical. But what I came to realize over time was that accounting, in some ways, can function more like a law degree than something that's more mathy or analytical. Um, gotcha. And so I didn't really have, like, your traditional mid-college crisis where I switched up majors drastically. All I really did was turn away from accounting and, and wanted to focus on finance. Um, and my advisor helped me out with that. I had some really good professors that that talked me through that. Um, including my, my mentor who I had called up immediately. I, I did feel like I was having this mid-college crisis, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm in accounting, and I don't really know if I want to do this. And they talked me off the ledge uh, and set me set me straight on my path towards finance um, and assured me that it would be the analytical thing that, that I was looking for. And And to yeah. be frank, I'm a pretty practical guy. I knew that finance was probably going to pan out in terms of employment, um, yeah. in terms of just the varied roles that you can have and um, the compensation. So I felt pretty good about it. Totally. Uh, you and know then in funny, terms of – go ahead.
1: I'm just going to stop you real quickly because what's funny is yeah. I actually tried out finance when I was in college. Now, a lot of people know that I changed my major seven times through college, so a little bit different than you. Um, and really, mine was like all practicality in terms of like trying things out within business that I wanted to try – And then I got into finance because I was like, uh, I could get a really good job with this. I could pretty much go into any industry with this degree. And quite frankly, I could probably be one of the highest-paying undergrads within any company because of my finance background. So, man, when I hear you on the the practical aspect of that, I'm always like, uh, yeah, that's amazing.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, Man, seven times, that's that's nuts. I love it. so, once I started thinking about post-graduation, what I wanted to do, um, I was actually working in the Starbucks stores. So, I was working at a store just outside my college um, to kind of, you know, help me put, put myself through college. And I had met a lot of people from Starbucks corporate who had told me about this rotational program that they did uh, within finance, supply chain, and to cover up, uh, other co- couple other um, fields. So I had actually done an internship in investments because there's so much you can do with finance and I don't think people really understand that there's a lot of varied roles that you can take coming out of it. And so there's financial advising, there's investment banking, um, and then there's the corporate finance, which is in and of itself a pretty varied field. And I tried my hand at the whole investment thing and it just wasn't... It it was too straightforward, I guess, um and it wasn't team oriented enough. It was very kind of lone wolf. Um the culture just wasn't something that I was looking for. You know, I was working in the stores at Starbucks and I was getting a view of what this awesome corporate culture could be like kind of from afar. And I took this internship and you know, I did learn a lot. It's not that I, I regret it at all. Um I learned a lot, I made decent money. Um, and I think helped boost my resume a little bit, so that by the time when I was ready to explore the rotational program that Starbucks was offering, um, I was a pretty good candidate lined up. So uh, I did join Starbucks right after graduation in what they call their uh, rotational development program, which is a two-year program. You do four jobs in two years, kind of all across finance. Um, and I have to say, it was it was pretty crazy, you know six months at a time just picking stuff up and then putting it down and then moving on. But you, you kind of learn how to learn. Like you, you figure out how to learn quickly, um, perform well, and then train someone up behind you so that you set the team up for success and then move on to the okay. next thing. And uh, I have to say one of the best decisions that I probably ever made.
1: Wow. Really?
0: Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I, mean, I mean,
1: cause that's, Well, the experience sounds like it's an all-around experience, right? Now, I remember getting ready to graduate and looking at different rotational programs that, quite frankly, I just didn't have the GPA to get into. Um, My work experience would say I was, you know, ready, but my GPA was like homeboy ain't ready. But the point being was the fact that you get to, one, learn, learn quickly and do, right? And that's something that in a new role in particular, you kind of have – a long runway of that, that curve, that, that, um, that ramp up curve. And when you're in a role such as a rotational program where you only have call it three to six months in a actual business unit, they expect you to come in, learn everything within a couple of weeks, and everything's almost accelerated. And then it's like, okay, great job, Jordan. Now you got to teach the other person behind you how to do this because if you truly know what you're doing, then you could teach it. Right. And exactly. That's just like, that's building great managers great leaders great people leaders and in my opinion that's like one of the best well-rounded experiences that a company or a business could give to a young undergrad so to hear that you got to do this was just like that's i mean in my opinion it's like you said it it's unregrettable it's one of those things where you you take it off you you start in your career and you just continue to like flourish after that
0: yeah you're spot on man i mean there's companies, it's it's becoming really popular all over. Um I think a lot of Fortune five hundred companies are either just starting or have offered for some time these rotational programs and I we're starting to see as this next generation of leaders comes about, you know, a lot of them actually originate from these rotation programs. And I think that's kind of the point behind it um, is develop to develop these people that are really good with change management. Um, you do learn a lot of technical skills, like don't get me wrong. I learned, you know, I was in the Treasury group, um, learning how to analyze our stock momentum and how that might affect our earnings per share and how Wall Street would react. Wow. Um, cool stuff, but I think the biggest part of that was the less technical side, um, where I was learning um, what's it like to have, you know, four different managers within two years. Actually, that's not even true. I had multiple managers within single six month roles, um, all with different personalities <laughs> and knowing how to adapt to different management styles so quickly all the time is, you know, it's unfortunately reality. And so if you want to succeed, it's definitely a skill that, you know, I'd recommend most people need to learn how to pick up. Um, and it's stuff oh, like totally, that totally that I was learning that was, I think, the most valuable.
1: I love that, Jordan. And I think that's so valuable, too, is just the fact that it's a soft skill that can help you move and groove through corporate America, right? Like, the technical skills, the hard skills, yes, you'll learn them. They will teach those to you. But those are tangible things that you can learn whether you're in the office or outside of the office. But the soft skills of learning how to work for different managers because everyone has their own managing style. And quite frankly, like, in and, and all honesty and everyone, and I think a lot of people in corporate America can agree with this. There are good managers and there are bad managers, and you're going to end up working for both at one point in time throughout your career. You're never going to have, Absolutely. all good managers, you're, not, you're never going to have all bad managers, but learning how to move and shake between the two. So that way one, like your stress levels stay to a, a minimal, I'll say, or Feasible, feasible, right? Like you can at least handle the stress, and two, like being efficient to work with your manager in the best way possible. I think is fantastic because, like you said, if you want to be successful in corporate America, you're gonna to have to be able to, to to learn these skills, and these are things that you're gonna to have to learn rather quickly because you can only learn those through experience, in my opinion.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, so after this program you kind of had the option of you know, picking where you went, but at the same time, it had to align with you know, the corporation's business needs at the time. Um, I had done a job for the sales finance team and the consumer package group at Starbucks and really liked okay. the vibe there, really liked the environment. Um, you know it well. It's the current team we work on now uh, or at least oh, yeah. closely with. And I said, you know what? I'll pretty much take anything as long as I can go back to this this business group because I had worked in the retail stores at Starbucks. I felt like I knew the retail model pretty well. I wanted to continue challenging myself uh, and not just going with what felt comfortable. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get placed back in the business group on the FP&A team, um, so that's financial planning and analysis, actually reporting. Okay right up to uh, the vice president of finance and sitting outside of his office and our president's office um, and, and delivering reports straight to them, kind of understanding exactly how executives want to look at the business, the questions that they're asking. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was a tough, I think I spent a year and a half in that role. Um, it, it, it was a grind for sure, but, and it was also just kind of learning like relearning the finance basics, um, it wasn't a lot of cross-functional work. it was very like finance to finance talk like I was kind of confined okay. to that, but I think it was a really good building block for getting me to where I am now, where I am working incredibly cross-functionally um, with even you know you and your team uh, on a day-to-day basis and and many other teams that surround us. Um, so coming out of that role, It was kind of uh, catalyzed by this good old Nestle merger, acquisition, partnership, whatever you'd like to to label it as. Um, It came initially as a pretty big shock, but I have to say it's probably, I'm going to look back and say this is one of the biggest opportunities and career accelerators um, that I'll be able to point to because there's just so much raw opportunity within this partnership, these two corporations coming together um, with such awesome resources and vision. And it's already you know, resulted in me getting onto the team I'm on now, which is supporting our marketing team from a finance perspective, uh, and I'm loving it. It's great.
1: Dude, that's, I, I love that. And I'll tell you this, working with you is more than a pleasure And sitting right next to you and being able to talk sports, finance, marketing, um, anything about business, right? And what I really love about the fact that, of our relationship is just that it started based off like we were just working in the same area, we're around the same age, we're pretty much the youngest ones in our in our groups, and then it just like yep. flourished from there, right? And we just started chatting and, and having coffee and really getting to know each other, and I learned from you so much about finances that I just didn't even realize I didn't know. And i've always been interested in stocks i've always been interested in bonds i've always been interested in you know like how does the stock market actually like move and shake and all the different things about it and i'm gonna i'm a little embarrassed to say this because i know we've had to talk about cryptocurrency before but i just bought um what i put like 15 dollars so like nothing nothing big obviously into some crypto last night just to kind of see how it moves and shakes and it's so different than the stock market but Switching gears a little bit, I'd love to understand, you know, what got you interested in kind of like stocks and, you know, everything else about like finances outside of like a corporate um, structure because you've helped me jump through hoops to realize how much like this is important and saving and investing and having long-term versus short-term strategies, right? And you also gave me the intelligent investor, which I'm looking at it right now to see where my bookmark is because I'm not halfway through. I'm not a quarter – i'm I'm about a fifth of the way through this thick book, but it's so helpful, so we'd love to hear kind of your your thoughts on finances, especially for young twenties, right? Like we're young, we don't learn about any of this stuff in school, and would just love to get like your thoughts on on finances as a whole and really like your interest in the stocks and and all that fun stuff
0: yeah I mean hey man one fifth of the way through is pretty respectable. That is a big ass book so uh kudos kids. to you and i hope you I, I hope you continue to to get good insights from it uh and thank you for putting up with all my uh i love to give unadulterated advice peop you know people don't ask for, so you're a good listener
1: um trust me, I love it.
0: But backing up, even before stocks, I guess I just enjoy personal finance. so I, I kind of take my own personal finance very seriously, but I also like to explore. Um, in college, I actually did think about financial advising because I really did like that human interaction that you have with your client and trying to help them achieve their their financial goals. Um, yeah. Ultimately, it wasn't the path for me, but I liked the principles and wanted to apply them to myself. Um, going a little level deeper, being you know pretty transparent with you, you know, I was never super poor as a kid. Um, I think yeah. I would actually define my family as relatively well off, but we definitely had moments where we struggled. Um, yeah and my parents have always struggled with, you know, a pretty large debt load um and and starting to move out of that, you know, still to this day they're they're working on it. And then the whole 2008 financial crisis hit, which we all remember pretty well and for you and I like, you know, those were very formative years for us and so for me it was like I see all this strife, you know, cuz finance is very mathy until it leads into all these emotional parts of our lives and and I'm seeing the effects of this in a very emotional way. And so how do I like protect myself from that happening? How do I get smarter about it? How do I learn and become better? Um, and so that's kind of what set me on the path um, of personal finance. And you know stocks and investing is just like you know the 18th step down that path. I'd say the first question that anyone should ask themselves is, you know what kind of lifestyle do you want, and what are your financial goals? Um, yeah. And from there, it all cascades into like more practical. How do you um? How do you operationalize that? But I think
1: yeah. no, you're right.
0: As millennials, we don't do a good job at pausing and asking ourselves like these philosophical questions. Um, even something as basic as like defining wants versus needs i think we're yeah. pretty good at hyperbole and using really extreme terminology <laughs> and you know overuse of the word literally um oh and it it can be tough you know we're we're really not aware of our word choice until we're sitting there saying like oh my gosh i'm broke i have no money and i would always just look at my friends and be like do you literally have no money because if that's true like we have some problems, and I can help you out like if you need it. Um, and what, what that translates to is not, oh, my gosh, I'm broke. I have no money. It means I have enough money to subsist on. I'm just using it as an excuse to not buy this thing that you're asking me to buy, like, I don't know, a concert ticket or whatever, yeah. because we have priorities, right? So what you're communicating is, my priorities are to spend my money on other stuff, not I am literally broke. Um, totally. And so wherever... <laughs> People are willing to listen. I'm willing to sit here and say, uh, you know what? You can. We can all learn to be smarter about it. Myself included. Like I don't know everything about finances, and I'm probably going to continue learning for the rest of my life and in applying that knowledge. But um, I think there are really easy, tangible ways to make money work for us uh, as individuals and for our families. And it's not rocket science. And there's a lot of good resources out there. And all it takes is just, like I said, kind of like that's stepping back and asking yourself some key questions. And um, Does that kind of make sense? I love
1: that. No, it makes a lot of sense because I think, you know, as millennials, the the number one thing that older generation, our generation says is, like, we blame social media for everything. And it's not – I don't think it's social media. It's just the fact that we have connection to – the world, right? Like you could essentially see anything that's going on in Sri Lanka. You can see what's going on in Russia. You can see what's going on. Well, maybe not Russia. Um, You you could go anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in Canada, anywhere in South America. Like you could always like tune in to find somebody who's doing something. And my point being is this the gratification of seeing or gratification, like instant gratification and also like inspiration from others who are your age or may look your age that are doing all these cool big things. And you're like, well, what the hell, I want to go do all this stuff. And what you don't see behind it is what's financing them to get there. And I think you said something that's really, really important is the fact that we have messed up our language so much, our our slang, to the point where it's like, oh, holy crap, I'm literally – or I ha- I have no money. And it's like, do you legit have no money or do you only have enough money for your bills, but you can't do the extra things? And one thing that you taught me, Jordan, was like, when we were talking about bonuses, for example, right? Like now first, first job out of college got, got my first bonus after my first, uh, first year. And I took all that money and I spent it and I went and bought clothes. I bought shoes. I bought new stuff for my apartment. Like it was gone almost as quick as like Shaq spent that million dollars that he got on the first day that he got signed. And I'm like, Oh my God, like did I really just spend all that cash in one day? Like it goes so quickly. And then when we chatted and you were like, oh, yeah, like I'm getting – and this was, you know, a year later. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get this, and I'm going to pay this off, and I'm going to pay this off, and I'm going to put this in savings, and I'm put this here. I was like, whoa, like this guy knows what he's doing. And that's when I realized that, like, my needs and wants were mixing together to where everything felt like a need for me, and it wasn't okay, you know. So I had to actually go home, sit down, and write down my top five, like, financial goals over – the next year, the next five years and the next 10 years. And of course those, those priorities and goals change, right? Like I would say that over the last month, a lot of my financial goals changed in terms of like going out and purchasing a car and, you know, getting ready to, like, I'm still saving to put down money on a house, but I'd rather say that the house is more important than the car to me right now because of the equity position within it. Right. But anyways, enough about me. would love to, um, would love to hear from you, Jay, more on, like, stocks, right? So I think that's something that a lot of us get kind of scared about. Um, I know I was, like, nervous as crap in the fact that I was going to put my money into something and not know if it was going to grow or or depreciate immediately. Um, I check my Robinhood app way too much, and we talk about this often, and I'm like, damn it, like, I'm down $10 today. And then when you put it in the grand scheme of things, it's like, okay, I'm only down $10. But – that's why these apps send you all these notifications is to keep you looking at it. But we'd love to hear your principles on, on stocks, checking your stocks and like, whether you say like set it and forget it or check back, like just your principles on this man. Cause I think you're a guru when it comes to this stuff.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, happy to talk about it. I think before I get like into the hardcore investing, I would just say before anyone invests, if you don't have a basic monthly budget and you don't know your, Disposable income. That's like step one. Uh because okay. you don't just want to start investing blind. <laughs> you want to make sure you have the funds to do so. Um and then if you do find that you have disposable income, you kind of alluded to it. Uh yeah, I did take my bonus and I actually paid off my the last of my student debt and both my cars um that I had a little bit left on. Feeling and and the reason why i do that instead of just dumping that into the stock market or buying myself a new tv is because you are assuming if you invest it that you can earn a better rate of return than your debt and you very well might be able to you might be able to crush it in the stock market um but guess what i treat stock or i treat the stock market like gambling and i think most people should um and that yeah. sounds a little crazy to say but I would not put any money into the stock market that you are not willing to lose forever. And people will call me crazy and say, no, you know what you're talking about. These people make so much money and and there's all these analytics that you can do. And it's like, guess what? Like, yes, there's analytics and there's math behind it, but the stock market is primarily investors' reactions to news headlines. And it is really hard to predict the human psyche. Um, So back to the debt thing. You know, I think I had somewhere between 4 and 6%, depending on whether it was my student or my car debt, that I was paying an in interest. Um, guess what? That's an automatic, guaranteed, undisputable, not-relying-on-human psyche 6% rate of return <laughs> that I just earned myself yeah. right yeah. there. Um, so, I mean, those are the first two things. Actually, I'm going to throw in one more. Um, my family learned the hard way of what. It was like to lose employment and then not have a good savings cushion, um, and so something yeah. I think a lot of millennials don't think about is building up like a little emergency fund uh, for a rainy day. Now, right now, employment's hot. You know, the the market is doing really well. Employment, unemployment is at an all-time low. Uh, people aren't really worried about losing their jobs. But I will tell you this: it doesn't have to take you know the market. It could be an unforeseen health issue that takes you out of out of uh, your job, and all of a sudden you're having to rely on savings that you don't have, uh, and hopefully yeah. you have family that can help you out at that point. But I would say before investing, do these things. But yeah, to finally yeah. get into what I think you want to get at.
1: Um, no, but I think back I to think this that, concept very- of. But it's it's important, ahead, right, Jordan. I think it's 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 really important. What you just said is super important. And the fact that it's like you need to build a cushion. First off, get out of debt, okay? Like that's the number one thing. Now if you have student loans that are gonna, you know, be with you for the next twenty years, that's that's one thing and you might not be able to pay those off immediately in the short term and you might want to start saving. But to your point, like every single person that I've ever talked to about finances right out of college, they go, You need at least four grand in your savings account, minimal. Like If you don't have that, then you are not okay to go out and go buy all these big grand things. And at first I was like, man, four grand, like that's what, like I'm not going to put that in my savings account just to sit there, whatever it may be. But you look at some of these these online banks like Ally, you look at Capital One 360, you look at all these different savings accounts that are actually better rate of returns than the, the market is giving you. And you're like, you know what? I do need to save this because that moment that I run out of cash, like, my first year out of college and I was working at Starbucks and I spent pretty much my paycheck for the first month. And then I was like, Whoa, like I spent too much this one week and I have none in savings and I only have 20 bucks for the next three days. And I don't know how I'm going to make it because I don't know how I'm going to get to work. I don't know. how. And and you don't want to ever worry about those things. And that fear that was instilled for me on that one day or those like couple days was what made me have to go like really seriously think about saving all those different things. But to your point, like, you can't invest. You can't do other things until you, one, get out of get out of debt, and two, like, build a freaking cushion because the cushion is so important, and it makes you feel better, too. Like, I didn't realize how comfortable in life I felt until my finances felt – or until my finances were set straight, and I was like, wow, like, I no longer have the stresses of finances or worrying about having to pay for this or, oh, shoot, I need to go get a new tire. Well, guess what? I could pay for it now. You know what I'm saying? So – Back to what you were saying, but I I do think that that was a really, really important point.
0: Dude, yeah. I mean, finances is actually one of the number one causes of stress and one of the number one causes of of marital fighting. Um, So there's nothing quite like feeling secure and and good about your financial situation. And so once you are feeling good about it, um, I mean, there's so many options today in regards to how to invest, and the landscape is changing so fast in terms of how it's traditionally been done, uh, and and yeah. what's coming down the pipeline, I would say a lot of people think, okay, I got to get an investment advisor, and I got to pay them a certain percentage of you know my own earnings uh, in order to make sure I'm making the right choices, and you know that might be the route that you can go, and that might be fine, but I love that in this day and age, there is investing that is um, free of fees. There's investing that is app-driven, algorithm-driven, set it and forget it, check every day. You have so many options ahead of you, so you kind of have to ask yourself, like, why am I investing? Are you investing for fun? Are you messing around, testing out theories? Like, you and I have talked about this a lot, and it, it is fun. It is fun to kind of test stuff out. But again, back to this concept of, like, if I'm having fun with it, you know, I better know I'm going to lose it too. Or are you investing oh, yeah. to build wealth? Like you have a, you said you had a 10 year plan and that's really good um, to, to develop those, those plans and goals. You know, if you're investing for that 10 year uh, nest egg, you might go a different route um, and maybe be a oh, little yeah. more conservative than someone who's, you know, effectively trying to day trade. Um So I'd say match your investment strategy to your personality and your own financial goals. Um, Treat the stock market pretty much like gambling. Don't be afraid to get help or like ask around. I think getting a investment advisor is probably appropriate once you've built a certain amount of wealth. I know a lot of people actually who are our age, um, who are millennials, who They're like, oh, I got a guy and he does all this for me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, you're investing like maybe not even a couple thousand dollars and you're giving this guy your money to help you out. Um, I would start out pretty conservative and build that wealth before you're ready to just give it over to someone. Now, if you really just... Don't know anything, and you don't want to because you decide that that's not your priority is to to do the research. I totally get it, and that's fine. But I'm just hesitant personally to to hand over my money to someone and give them a you know a one to three percent cut unless I've got you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, which frankly I don't yet. So um, yeah,
1: which makes yeah. sense. And I mean, like I'm with you, man. And and to your point, like, you can educate yourself on this stuff. I mean, you've taught me so much, and just the articles you've sent me, reading through The Intelligent Investor, and also just, you know, through conversations, I think, just learning through osmosis through you and through others as well. Like, you can teach yourself these different things, and you can teach yourself what to look for. You don't have to dive too deep into it where, like, you're like a, an analyst at Goldman Sachs, right? I mean, you might as well be doing two jobs at that point. But to your point, like, you can either dive as far deep into it as you want, or you can just keep it surface level and know just enough where you, you, you play with that. And I think one thing that's important that you said, too, was the fact that you could be either conservative or aggressive with your stock portfolio. And I just remember back to the conversation that um, we were having around us uh, at work, I believe it was, like, Monday or Tuesday, or it might have been last week. But regardless, um, we were talking about – like diversifying our portfolios and having like cannabis stocks. And, you know, like I just bought Pfizer and a bunch of other different, like, uh, you know, uh, industry companies when, and Brian was like, Oh, if you're, you just need to take all that money, put it into like one or two stocks and then let that bad boy grow aggressively and then pull it out. And I think it's,
0: it's, I,
1: I started laughing because we were just like, I was like, you know, that doesn't sound like a bad strategy, but I could lose a lot of money, Doing that, yeah and,
0: again uh, he he's making the assumption that you have tons of money to throw around, and it's how you know some people get really rich and a lot of people get really poor,
1: yeah, exactly, and like you said, it's like gambling I mean, like if I gambled on the Super Bowl and I threw a hundred thousand dollars on the Patriots and they win, you know I could double my money right there, but if I also put a hundred thousand dollars on the Rams and they lose uh, that money's gone immediately, so I would love to just hear like your your thought process on like how those goals that you have relate back into your strategy because I think a lot of people want that get rich um, program, right? Like I want to get rich quick. I don't want to work that long. I don't want to grind it out. But when you look back to your goals, like how does that kind of relay back into what exactly it is that you want to accomplish?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so I have – my own financial goals where I have like a, a, call it a year one target and a year three target. And you know, my wife and I, we rent right now, but we definitely are uh, starting to look at what buying a house might look like. And so I'm trying to develop that wealth in order to be ready for the time um, when we do want to buy. So I do a couple of different uh, methods of investing. I have what I think most people should start with, which is like, I'll call it like a mutual funds approach where you're not getting into individual stocks. You're actually just putting money into funds, which allow you to get okay. exposure to a ton of different stocks and diversify, um, but without putting a ton of money down. And they're usually pretty cheap to get into. Um, like you you may or may not have to pay uh, a fee, um, but usually it's pretty easy. You can do it through sure. almost any investment platform. Uh, and it's like i said it's just a quick way to diversify um you know if you invested in the S&P 500 20 years later the, the likelihood of you having a lot more money than you had when you started is almost guaranteed um, there's some pretty cool studies to say that you know if you had invested in the early 1900s and held on to your money for 50 years the rate of return you would have had would have been astronomical because even through all of the dips and all of the hard times and the depression um you know the stock market is something that does tend to continuously build um especially as you get into that like widely diversified view so that's kind of my my first approach is to that's say awesome. like i don't need to get crazy with it i'm not looking for a quick buck uh i just want to build wealth in a way that's a little bit better At least then, you know, your high rate savings account that's probably only going to get you 2%, which is really good, and I think people should be invested in that too. You talked about Capital One 360. Guess what? Literally a month ago, I opened a Capital One 360 account, so. uh,
1: (laughs) I'm glad we're on the same page.
0: I am not endorsed by Capital One. (laughs) Uh, So beyond that, there's some cool apps and tools that have come out with, uh, you know, the, the age of technology. I think a lot of people have heard of Acorns, um, which I think is a really yeah. cool concept. So they are a company where you can, it's app-based and you can set your risk tolerance, which pretty much just tells you, like, how crazy are you willing to get, essentially how much are you willing to lose. You can even put in your financial goals in terms of how much money you want to have by, um what year and it'll kind of tell you, you know, this is how much you should be investing and this is how much we project that you can make. And what's really cool is if you don't want to go through all that detail and you just want to start investing but you don't really care about what it's going into or even want to look at it, it does this thing called Roundup where it takes the spare change off of any transaction that you make and just yep. puts it right into your account. So if I spent five dollars and sixty cents, it's going to take forty cents uh, and off of that transaction make that transaction and even six but 40 cents of that is going into a diversified fund um, yeah. and you can even weight like how much you want to be involved in international stocks versus small stocks versus large stocks um, it's pretty cool so I had used that at one point um, until I, I found some other options that I just you know, felt like the, the user interface was a little better and I wanted to be more involved than just taking um, taking spare change and, and investing it. So you you brought up Robinhood, and I think that's kind of where I'm at now. Where I am doing that sort of testing out little theories here and there, and saying, you know what, I think it would be cool to buy this company. And Robinhood is nice because there's no fees for buying and selling shares. Um, whereas a traditional investment platform, you're going to pay usually like a fixed fee of you know five to twenty dollars for any purchase that you make. Um, and it's app-based, so it's really easy to use. It might not have like all the bells and whistles of, you know, your Goldman Sachs account or whatever. But uh, yeah. I think for a lot of millennials on the go, on the go, who want to uh, start experimenting with it, as long as you set good limits for yourself uh, in terms of kind of knowing when to call it quits and and maybe even. Limiting how much you go and look at it, because I know you and I have talked about both having <laughs> problems, like constantly checking it. Uh, it. It can be a really fun way to get involved in the stock market and and learn something. Because, you know, I can sit here and, and say all this stuff about investing, but as with many things, you learn a lot by doing. Um, oh, yeah. So to
1: your point, I... Right? I had to take my dang notifications off of my Robin Hood because I was looking at it so much. And what brought me the most joy was when I checked it after, like, I just made a couple buys and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to be true to myself. I'm not going to look at this until, like, next Wednesday. Like, say I bought it on a Tuesday. And I the next week came around and I looked and I was like, oh, my God, my portfolio grew. And I wouldn't have realized that if I was looking at it day by day because it was taking some dips here, it was taking some spikes, but, like, from an aggregate perspective looking at it like holistically over just that one week, it grew like 5%, which is humongous. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, and and I got so revved up and so excited, but I had to realize like, this is what I have to do moving forward. I can't look at it every day. I have to keep my notifications off. Like there's certain principles that you, like you said, you just test it out and you learn. And I also did acorns and I still do actually. And it, I only do the, the roundup program through them, which is, I think one of the most, cool and unique programs that they started because of the fact that it takes 20 cents. It takes two cents. It takes 50 cents. It takes 80 cents. It takes 12 cents, but you look at it over time. Like, you know, if you look at it every day, it's never going to grow, but you look at it over a month time period, two months time period. I look back at it now and I'm like, Holy crap, did I save that much money just based off of not realizing that I was spending an extra 20 cents every transaction I made. And it was just so dope.
0: Yeah, dude. I I think it it can be really fun um, to get into it. It can be more than just building wealth. It can be you know a little bit of an entertainment factor. You know, you and I talk sports. We also talk stocks, and and it it can be really cool to kind of play out these theories. And it feels nice when you you have a theory and it it pans out the way you'd expect it to. But I'm totally on board with like, yeah, you got to turn notifications off. Um, I I'd, I'd say conventional wisdom. You know, you brought up. The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, which, for those that don't know, he was the guy that told, taught Warren Buffett everything he knows. Um, he's very much set it and forget it. Like you, you invest and you don't even invest on theories, and you don't buy into hype. You you invest in sound financials, um, and then you let it go and you stop looking at it and you don't worry about it um, because you'll constantly be questioning yourself and you may. Pressure your own, yourself into making moves that aren't smart. Um, I think it's kind of funny because I talk about this with a lot of people, and some people's theories are really interesting, and I find that it's not necessarily limited to age, but I feel like I do notice it in millennials more is like, oh, you got to buy this company, they're so hot right now, they're doing so great and it's like, dude, you realize that they've like they're at the highest price they've ever been and does anyone remember buy low sell high am i crazy like i think if you were to take anything away from this besides like the first part about you know building a savings account and being smart before you invest it's buy low sell high like the most successful investors i know buy on the dips um they they don't try and like find the hottest company and buy it at any price hoping it will go up. They wait for the market to dip. They hold on to their money. They don't like have this compulsive need to, to invest it and they don't care about the popularity contest um, and they sit there patiently and they wait. And then when they buy it, they step back again and they wait. Uh, and I think that takes a lot of self-control, but like I said, it's kind of the most successful investing that I've seen at least personally.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm with you. And it's like one of those things where it's not an emotional decision where like you talked about at the beginning, like finances get so emotional and it's actually one of the biggest reasons that marriages have fights and people get into fights and people have this like insecurity within themselves because of the actual like financial situation. But when you remove the emotion away from it and you just go, I'm going to set it, forget it. And I'm just going to let this bad boy grow. Then you see some of the most successful people get there because they don't make those those emotional decisions. It's all based off of, you know, what they're reading, what they're seeing going on and all that great stuff. And I have just one last topic for you, Jordan, and this will probably be a quick one, but I know that it's yeah. March Madness. We actually have the tournament starting here and you're a big Virginia guy. Go who's if my man, Evan Nolte is listening, we talk about you all the time and I would just I... love to hear your Final four, man. Are we going all number ones? Are we adding number twos? Oh, can you share this with me? Finish it out.
0: (laughs) I will give you. So I've got what, like eight hours left to finalize things, or a little more than that. Um, But I'll give you (laughs) my preliminary. I think. So, against my better judgment, or maybe against nothing. I am having UVA go all the way. And, okay. you know, I did it last year, and it bit me in the ass, as everyone remembers. Um, those Golden Retriever scoundrels, they uh, they got us good. But, you know, my final four is definitely Duke. There's no question um, that yeah. they are an incredible team. Zion is a beast, and even with him, you know, Having his injury, they got four solid freshmen um, right behind him that are ready to pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. I think UNC is always one of my favorite teams to watch, and I think they are right up there with Duke. When you saw the ACC tournament, they were just right on their heels. Um, Oh, yeah. So I have them, obviously UVA, and this was the toughest pick for me. I thought to myself, can you really have four number ones, uh, number one seeds in the final four And the answer is statistically no. Uh, So I kind of reverse engineered my bracket to say, you know, Gonzaga's a great team, but they usually struggle to get past the Elite Eight despite very, very high rankings every year. And I think um, there's actually a lot of teams that could take them down, but the one I am going with is Texas Tech, and I think it's because of their
1: defense. Wow. I love that. Uh, They're one of the top-rated defensive teams in the country, are they not?
0: Them in Michigan are number one and number two, and I have them playing each other. I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch. Uh, I think it's going to be really close odds, um, but I think either one of them could uh, go head-to-head with Gonzaga's offense and ultimately come out the victor. Uh, so I have UVA going against Duke in the championship, and I will say this is my less statistical side thinking that um, it's my more aspirational UVA will win it. This will be the year hey, that UVA does it.
1: I don't listen. I don't blame you for that because typically what I've seen just in basketball in general is that as, you know, UVA's only losses in the ACC besides Florida State in the tournament came from Duke, right? And when you lose to a team in the regular season as many times as they did, and which, again, like it wasn't a lot, but they only got to play them, what, three times? Uh, maybe twice. Yep. But my my point being is that, they're going to come into that game very 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 different than they are, than they showed up during the regular season. And if that game does come to fruition in a national championship, um and if I were a betting man, I'm betting against flying on that one. So I'm I'm with you and I'm not just saying that cuz I got you here. Um but last thing in closing, um I got to ask everybody this, is you got 90 seconds you're in an elevator and someone asks you for some advice, what are what, what would you leave them with?
0: Oh man, put on the spot.
1: Yeah, this is, a, this is a tough one, I
0: know. No, that's okay. Um, well, I kind of am just going to circle back to telling my story at the beginning, which is to say the key to being successful, like, isn't being super good at one thing or just gaining all the knowledge. Um, I think the key to being successful is continuously learning and maintaining a humble heart while doing so. Um admitting to yourself every day that you don't know everything and there's always something to learn. Um, That's literally been the whole story of my career is just moving around, learning new things, and just looking at everything as an opportunity. Um, And I think it's a good mindset to have in corporate setting, but also in life, too, because I just think it really keeps you humble, and I think humility is really key. Um, And can I say one thing about finances, actually? Can I say one last thing after that pitch? Something that I left out that I think is is really important is we've talked about wealth building and investing and all this, you know, stuff that's very self-centered. And I wanted to say that I think anyone who has money to invest should be giving first. And by giving, I mean giving to charitable, you know, organizations, giving back to their communities. Um, Man, there's so many reasons to give. Uh, selfish and unselfish, and I think before investing, you know, make sure you have enough to live off of, um, and you're taking care of yourself. But beyond that, um, giving at least to some degree, I think is super important for everyone to do, uh, it, you know, There's a lot of brain science that says it makes you feel really good and has health benefits, which is a little more of the selfish, but I think it also develops compassion, empathy, selflessness, um, and you giving encourages others to do the same and makes the world a better place. So before you think about investing, I would think about uh, giving and give to something that you feel passionate about. Um, I I think it'll change your life. that's,
1: That's so true, man. I mean, like, and whether it's giving money, giving your time, like, either or, you know, are, are, are something that's going to be life changing for somebody. And, you know, I just think back to when I went out to D.C. for the um, American Foundation of Suicide Prevention uh, dinner that, that I went to probably like four or five weeks ago. And you had, gave that generous donation, like you changed so many people's lives in terms of like how they were just like taken back by that. And you even inspired me to give more too. And it's just and it's not about the the dollar amount right but it's just the fact that like yes i want to invest yes i want to make as much money as possible yes i want to be you know wealthy and not have to worry about you know making a making a paycheck in x amount of years but to your point like charitable giving is just something that brings compassion brings empathy and makes people feel really good and you're you're changing people's lives who don't necessarily get the same opportunities as yourself and i, I think I'm really glad that you brought that up because that is a very very key point to to life just in general right and i yeah man i mean said, you can George, have
0: all the money you can have all the money in the world but if the world is a shitty place what does that mean you know um yeah so you're
1: spot on <laughs> you're so spot on and i want to, i want to take this time to say thank you man i mean like We've been talking about this at work you're you've been giving me more than enough topics to continue talking about and I can guarantee you will be back on the show multiple times
0: dude um, I'm happy to any time was
1: awesome dude Cool and now we're gonna record the outro and three two one Jordan, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today man you know I love you this is this was awesome and and to be honest with you like the fact that you had Texas Tech and Virginia in your final four like uh, if we didn't record this podcast before the final four happened then i'd be calling bs but man what what picks but again y'all you guys know exactly how i'm going to end this go out and do something nice for somebody today it doesn't even have to be today go do it this week But go out and be nice. Make their day. Because I promise you, it will change so many different people's moods. It'll make people happier. It'll make you happier. I mean, Jordan even said it like, make a charitable donation. And even if you can't donate with your money, donate with your time. Go do something for somebody. Go and be selfless for a minute. Because we spend so much of our days being selfish that we completely forget about the fact that there are others out there who are struggling and going through situations that are much, much worse than ours. So I leave you with that. Go do something nice for somebody today. Go do something nice for somebody this week. Go change their day, change their trajectory, and make sure that, you know what, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this the millennial way. And that's the best way possible. So y'all, follow us on Instagram at underscore millennial way. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash talk. The newsletter is coming soon. We're piping hot with content on that bad boy. I'm so excited to get it out to you guys. And whoo, 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 I cannot wait to get it out. Oh, man, I'm, I'm itching at it right now. Me and my COO are working hard. So guess what, y'all? We're working hard. We can't wait to get this out to you guys. And I know what. And you know what? Have a fantastic day. Go win the day. It's winning Wednesday, baby.
0: Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to follow our blog at itsmillennialtalk.com. Follow us on social media at underscore way on Instagram and Twitter.